This is 680-CJOB. I'm Brett McGarry. This week on The Couch Potatoes, we've got a follow-up on a discussion we started last week on the Netflix nostalgia trip Stranger Things. I finished watching the first season and will offer a post-mortem. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. I checked out the new reality show starring the Fonz and his buddies. I'll review Better Late Than Never. Plus... We'll also tell you what's coming home this week to Blu-ray, DVD, and Digital HD. First, it's the news. From the couch... You're not real. That is from the first trailer for Rings, the threequel to the 2002 film The Ring. Remember that? The one with a creepy video? The Ring was a remake of a Japanese film, and it did quite well, triggering a landslide of remakes of Japanese and Korean horror movies. They made a sequel, The Ring 2, in 2005. It was crap. Now, 11 years later, we have a third one. Here's a clip from the new movie that will get you caught up on how it all works. Come on, we gotta get up. I keep thinking about this story. There's this video that kills you seven days after you watch it. The second it's over, the phone rings. And this boy says... That's when she's coming for me. The main character here is Julia. She gets concerned when her boyfriend starts looking into this dark subculture surrounding that mysterious videotape, which isn't just a beat-up old VHS anymore. Oh no, now it's online! So she sacrifices herself to save her boyfriend. But something is different this time. She discovers there is a movie within the movie. And when she answers that fateful phone call, she gets marked. You want to know about the girl in the well. What does she want from me? This mark on your hand. It says rebirth. Rebirth. Does Samara want to possess Julia? That was the voice of Vincent D'Onofrio, by the way. So they got one fairly well-known actor in this one. They also got Johnny Galecki from Big Bang Theory. This movie looks creepy, but so did the sequel. And it was terrible. But this one has Samara on a plane. That's right. She strikes in midair on a plane. And all the screens on the back of the seats show the video that's both scary and hilarious. This movie was supposed to come out November 13th last year. Then it got bumped to April 1st of this year and then again to October 28th. You've opened up a door, and now no one is safe. Why spend your Labor Day long weekend taking advantage of the dying days of summer when you can stay in and binge watch something? 
That's apparently Netflix's thinking as they get set to release season two of Narcos next weekend. Narcos is one of last year's most pleasant surprises, a show about the infamous Colombian drug lord Pablo Escobar and the DEA agents out to bust him. I'm Steve Murphy, drug enforcement agent. The hippies have been replaced by Colombians, and these guys didn't wear flip-flops. We were witnessing the formation of the famed Medellin cartel. There was Jose Rodriguez Gacha, the Ochoa brothers, and last but not least, Pablo Escobar. Before long, the narcos are pulling in $5 billion a year. This week we got a new trailer for Season 2, which has a couple of spoilery type things in it if you have not seen the first season. Pablo Escobar. Pablo Escobar. Pablo Escobar has escaped from prison. Jesus. Well, here we go again. That's Boyd Holbrook narrating. He's the quote-unquote star of the show, the main DEA, DEA guy chasing after Escobar. His partner is Oberyn Martell from Game of Thrones, but tune in for Wagner Mura as Escobar. He's very convincing. While the first season showed the rise of Pablo's empire, the second season has him on the run, and everyone's after him. The cops, the government, and the other drug cartels. Now that Pablo was home, Everyone wanted payback. If we're standing over Pablo at the end of this, we win. Nadie debe ser visto con compasión. No quiero ver muerto. Acabar con Pablo es un acto de patriotismo. The president has offered us every available resource to defeat Escobar. This wasn't just a manhunt. This was a war. Looks intense. Should be a good season. Narcos season two plops on Netflix Friday, September second. But the problem was, Pablo is never more dangerous than when you almost have him. Everybody was the same thing. The days are numbered, Pablo. Mr. Cochata and Pinks, Mr. Your Humble Servant. Excuse me. A new Star Wars trailer came out recently. No, not for this December's Rogue One and certainly not for the upcoming Episode 8. It's a trailer for a documentary about the prequels. Context and expectation was stacked against George from the very beginning. There's no accounting for that kind of buildup. That more than 20 year gap between the beginning of Star Wars and the re-beginning with the prequels. You see a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, you are ready. You've been waiting for this movie since you were three years old watching that tape of Star Wars. And then the movie starts. And I hated it, the way it looked, and it was like kind of this sadness went over me, and I was like, oh no. If a Star Wars movie were like an asteroid or a meter, then The Phantom Menace would be the kind that killed the dinosaurs. Expectations were unrealistically high. The documentary is called The Prequels Strike Back, A Fan's Journey. It digs into whether or not the prequels are actually as bad as guys like you, you and I, Brett, would say they are. Kevin Smith shows up to posit a theory that younger folks are seeing them through a different lens than old school Star Wars fans. You're gonna see a generation of kids that grew up watching the prequels 
that didn't feel the same way that we did. You know, we're just the loudest voice in the room. And the movie digs into some really nerdy territory. Fans who are so desperate for the prequels to be good that they'll go to great lengths to find meaning in them that probably isn't really there. When you see like Mike Klimo's uh, ring theory stuff, when he's putting these images side by side, there's no way that that's accidental. So it creates this pattern of ABC, CBA. You start looking for psychological meaning, you start looking for symbolism, and once you start looking for it, it's everywhere. The prequel Strike Back, a fan's journey, will debut on some streaming sites next month, notably Amazon and YouTube, and it'll likely roll out to others soon afterwards. Nobody hates Star Wars like a Star Wars fan. If you don't like them, there's always Star Trek. It's so over the top. So I got to thinking, it's possible through the prequels that George Lucas might save the world. Why on earth are we complaining about this? I would point out I didn't hate oh, the prequels. Oh, you're going to be an apologist now, huh? No, I'm not an apologist. I certainly, I didn't love them. And I, whenever I watch them, I get frustrated, endlessly frustrated. But I didn't despise them. The first one, The Phantom Menace, I have so many problems with. I, Attack of the Clones, I, I kind of like. But again, it's it's not a, a home run. And uh, Revenge of the Sith, again, a lot of things I really like about it, but yeah. it's not. I'll give you points points to the Sith one. I, I didn't mind a lot of that. Yeah. But the, I, I've wanted to rewatch them again, but I know that begins with The Phantom Menace. And I just, <laughs> I, I was like, I do not have two hours and 20 minutes to sit through this today. Just skip The Phantom Menace. Start <laughs> with Attack of the Clones. Uh, more news from The Couch next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Brett McGarry and Jeff Braun, we are The Couch Potatoes. More news from The Couch now. And this next story I like to call Snatch, Crackle, and Potter. Frankie <laughs> Fourfingers has a gun size of a fist. 86 carats. Do you know something that I've done? Jeez, it's flawless. Where? London. London. You know, fish, chips, cup of tea, Mary Poppins, London. That is from the Guy Ritchie film Snatch from the year 2000, an ensemble comedy caper which starred the likes of Brad Pitt, Jason Statham, Benicio Del Toro, Dennis Farina, and Lenny James, just to name a few. Open the case and give me the stone. The only man who knew the combination... You just shot. Getting heartburn. Tony, do something terrible. Just a hilarious movie. And I didn't know this, but the online television content creator Crackle is developing a TV show based on the movie. It starts production next week in Manchester, England. And this week, they announced one of its main stars is Ron Weasley from Harry Potter. This is Devil's Snare. You have to relax. If you don't... It'll only kill you faster. Kill us faster? Oh, now I can relax. The actor who played Ron Weasley is Rupert Grint, who most recently was on Broadway opposite Matthew Broderick and Nathan Lane in It's Only a Play. They're vowing to capture the spirit of the setting from the movie Snatch while creating a new world. And I think Grint is a good pick because he was quite funny in the Harry Potter movies. Why spiders? Why couldn't it be follow the butterflies? And he's not afraid to throw down when it's time for a fight. I'm warning you, Hermione. Keep that bloody beast of yours away from Scabbers, or I'll turn it into a tea cozy. It's a cat, Ronald. What do you expect? It's in his nature. A cat? Is that what they told you? Looks more like a pig with hair, if you ask me. The series is inspired by a real-life heist in London about a group of young hustlers who stumble upon a truckload of stolen gold bullion and now find themselves in the world of organized crime. It will debut in 2017 with 10 one-hour episodes. Anything to declare? Yeah. Don't go to England. 
stylish house frame furniture and uh, scarf cushions with uh, matching sacra cordons. Did you understand a single word of what he just said? When I was your age, they would say we could become cops or criminals. What I'm saying to you is this. When you're facing a loaded gun, what's the difference? The Departed won the Best Picture Oscar in 2006, and Martin Scorsese won his first ever Oscar as director. As with many of his, his esteemed colleagues, Scorsese didn't win for his best film ever, but The Departed is an awful lot of fun and was Scorsese's first real gangster movie in some time. Now, it's going to be a TV show. If you've never seen the movie, Jack Nicholson plays a Boston mob boss. He has a mole in the police force, Matt Damon, while the police have a mole in Nicholson's gang, Leonardo DiCaprio. We are all convinced that Costello has at least one mole inside the Special Investigations Unit. There are parts of my job I can't talk to you about. You are trouble. You don't know the half of it. Hitting the ceiling, we got a cop in my crew. Soon a lady's gonna find out who I am and he's gonna kill me. The Departed was based on an Asian movie and now Amazon wants to set their show about double undercover cops and mobsters in Chicago focusing on a Latino gang. No word on when this show might be made. Amazon is also developing a TV series about Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan, starring John Krasinski, a.k.a. Jim from The Office. What kind of bear is best? That's a ridiculous question. False. Black bear. Well, that's debatable. There are basically two schools of thought. Fact. Bears eat beets. Bears. Beets. Battlestar Galactica. You may remember Jack Ryan from such films as Hunt for Red October, Patriot Games, Clear and Present Danger, The Sum of All Fears, and Shadow Recruit. He's already been played by four actors, Harrison Ford, Ben Affleck, Chris Pine, and Alec Baldwin. Somebody's got to go out there and make contact with Ramius and find out what his intentions really are. Okay, when do you leave? Wait a minute. The general was right. I am not field personnel. I am only an analyst. You're perfect. I can't ask any of these characters to go. One, they don't believe in it. Two, they'd never stake their reputation on a hunch. Whereas you are expendable. Yeah, Baldwin is more entertaining in The Departed. Hey. I'm sorry to get you to the last minute, but things leak. This lead came from Queen is undercover guy. I'm better to smoke right now. You want to smoke? You don't smoke, do you? Right? What do you want, all those fitness freaks? Huh? Go f yourself. And that is the news from the couch. Up next, we'll have a quick look at what is coming to home video this upcoming week. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Poor, sweet little cub. What are you doing so deep in the jungle? You are a man cub who wants to live in a jungle. How do you know that? Kid, I got ears. My ears got ears. Only I can protect you. Brett McGarry and Jeff Brown, we are the Couch Potatoes, having a look at what's coming to Blu-ray, DVD, and Digital HD this upcoming week. And what's that, Jeff? That's The Jungle Book, one of the big smash hits of the year. Got great reviews, got a lot of money. I actually, uh, I'm kind of upset I didn't go see it when it was in theaters. I always, it was one of those movies that I kept saying, gotta go see The Jungle Book, gotta go see The Jungle Book, and uh, I didn't go see The Jungle Book. So we'll get our chance next week when it's out on Blu-ray and DVD. Uh, there's a bunch of TV coming out, too. All last year's seasons, you got Arrow, Chicago Fire, Chicago Med, Criminal Minds, Grey's Anatomy, Mom, NCIS, Los Angeles, uh, The Night Manager, and Shameless. And oh. I also see that uh, The Commitments 25th Anniversary Edition, uh, great sort of musical film from the 
Was that the 80s or everyone, the 90s? 90s. Everyone goes nuts over that. I watch it and just didn't do it for me, man. I guess I could have done the quick math here, given that it was a 25th anniversary <laughs> edition. Yeah, but... I bet it came out in 91, <laughs> <I> probably. Think... <laughs> in the 80s or the 90s? <laughs> uh, I should also just quickly mention, too, digi- coming to digital HD, The Conjuring 2, an excellent horror sequel. I loved it. And it's coming to Blu-ray and DVD in September. But if you want to get it early on digital HD, that is also coming on Tuesday. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and a new reality show started this week on NBC. William Shatner, Henry Winkler, Terry Bradshaw, and George Foreman star in Better Late Than Never. Tuesday, their adventure takes flight. This is where I find my enlightenment. Hello, Hong Kong! Good luck with that. The boys visit two new cities. They'll whine. This is like camp. Done. What is that? Baby Snakes. mouse. And everything. Your geisha's showing. We'll be fine. I'm dealing with children. I'm a ninja. Less talky, more socky. <laughs> Ouch. Oh. I can get through this. All new, better late than never, Tuesday on NBC. And basically, it's a travel log with old guys. It's Wild Hogs. Remember the movie Wild Hogs, Brett? Yes. Oh, we love that movie, didn't we? <laughs> we really beat up in that movie. Did you even see it? I did see it. Just, oh. <laughs> just so I could like specifically beat up on that movie. Okay. So anyways, Better Late Than Never is basically Wild Hogs meets The Amazing Race, but there's no story or point to it. These guys spend a month bouncing around Asia doing touristy things, and that's it. It's almost literally a show about nothing. It's just the juxtaposition of old Americans being confused in a foreign land, and frankly, I think it'll play better in the U.S. and Canada because we don't seem to have the same kind of xenophobia about the world as our neighbors to the south have. They go, they go to different places in Tokyo in this first episode I watched this week and just marvel at how weird it is. They stay in one of those little capsule hotels where everyone sleeps in a pod. They eat Japanese delicacies like pork vaginas. They go I'm on, sorry? Uh, yeah, you heard me right. <laughs> okay. Yep. There's a lengthy discussion about that and the <laughs> genitalia of many animals actually. <laughs> Okay. Uh, they go on a Japanese game show. All the cliche, stereotypical things that, uh, you know, we've known about for years, but to these guys, it's all amazing, which I frankly, I find hard to buy because, I mean, Terry Bradshaw, sure, he's a hillbilly, but Shatner, Winkler, and Foreman, these guys had long careers that would have certainly taken them around the world. But whatever, the only thing that matters is whether it's entertaining, and against my better judgment, I actually started to enjoy it quite a bit as it went along. First of all, these guys are all just so likable. I mean, I know I just called Bradshaw a hillbilly, but he's fun, he's affable. I watch him and his football buddies on Fox most Sunday mornings during NFL season, and he cracks me up. George Foreman is also very like probably the most likable. He's a little quieter than the other guys, though. But, I mean, what do you expect when you have Henry Winkler and William Shatner? They are characters. They're always so game about everything they do. They are not afraid to look silly at all. And, you know, Shatner is capable of saying anything. They all sort of are. There were a lot more bleeped out swearing in this than I was expecting. There was drinking as well. Drad Bradshaw gets drunk in the first episode. Um, and the, the gang also has a guide slash chaperone, young comedian Jeff Dye. He's in charge of the heavy lifting and organizing their days and basically sure making you know, making sure one of them doesn't wander off. The first few minutes were terrible. I thought, oh my God, this is going to be the longest hour of my life. It was just, it's also staged. Like, you know, I mean, a lot of reality TV is, but it usually comes off a little more natural than this did. That's them calling each other and saying, hey, let's go on a trip. It's just really phony. And I was actually surprised that they 
included it in the show. There's also a lot of real fast editing, which had me thinking that they didn't get any usable footage and we're going to have to try to cut something watchable together using half-second chunks of footage. But then after a while, the show sort of settled down and I settled into it. And it, it helped that after a couple of, you know, incidents where they were portrayed as ugly American tourists. One of them actually called themselves out on it, so there's some self-awareness there. And just the jovial geniality of the guys, you know, talking to each other was very entertaining. I'll keep watching it, and if you're a fan of any of those guys, you know, you might dig it too. But if you're looking for great TV, this is not it. You mentioned Winkler and Shatner being characters. Oh here, they are, here they are uh, talking to E.T. Canada. What a challenge to go with four people you don't really know. Five. You four. Went with four. Oh, you went with four. No, I went with four. Because you're the fifth. That's right. Uh, so, I mean, I I don't know myself very well, but that which I know, <laughs> and I got to know myself much better. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, uh, I I meant to watch it, and then I forgot because I'm trying to get caught up in all the sitcoms from this past right, fall right, right. season that have been piled up in my PBR. So I completely forgot about it. So I've just actually ordered it on my phone. I'm going to watch it when I get home. And your instinct will be in the first five minutes to stop and not watch it. I'm just saying push through, watch at least 20 minutes. If after that you still can't bear it, then delete it. And I should also point out too, this is, a, of course, it's not an original idea. Well, no. It's adapted from a South Korean show called Grandpa's Over Flowers. And uh, <laughs> it's the same thing there where they had four older guys accompanied by a younger guy. Um, I don't even know who Jeff Dye is. He's from NBC's Last Comic Standing or something. Yeah, I, did, I had to look him up too to make sure that he wasn't, you know, more famous and I just didn't know about him kind of thing. So, no, it's okay that you don't know who he is. So I look forward to watching it. Jeff says it's a, it's a good time, but not very good TV. Once again, this airs Better Late Than Never is on uh, Tuesdays, Tuesdays on NBC. And on Global. I was petrified when I left America. I was electrified when I came back. And you were sanctified later on. I wish I was. Up next, going to give you a, an autopsy on the Netflix series Stranger Things. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Brett McGarry and Jeff Braun, we are The Couch Potatoes. We started talking about this last week. We just, both of us, uh, watched the first two episodes of the series. I plowed through the rest of them, eight episodes in all. The Netflix series Stranger Things. Do you really think it was a coincidence that we found her at the same place where Will disappeared? Something is going on here! Alright, so just to, to catch you up on what this series is about, Stranger Things, it's set in the 80s, it's basically a nostalgia trip about all things 80s, it's about four kids... They like to play their Dungeons and Dragons kind of games or whatever it's called in this. One of them goes missing. He's taken by some sort of a supernatural entity. We don't know if it's an alien. We don't know if it's a monster. We don't know if it's some sort of government experience gone awry. And in the meantime, while the kids are looking for their missing friend, they bump into a girl in the woods known simply as... 11. That's what she calls herself, the number 11. And over the course of the eight episodes, the mystery is is revealed about both what happened to their friend and what is what the deal is with this girl because she's 
There's something special about her. And uh, we were talking last week. I suggested that just based on those first two episodes that I thought that maybe they could have tightened it up. I mean, it's very much uh, a throwback to movies like E.T. You know, it's very, it feels like it's got a Spielberg feel to it. Or like The Goonies. Lots of nods to Stephen King kind of stuff. Uh, sort of like uh, you could take It, for example. Or even The Monster Squad. I don't know if you remember The Monster Squad. Basically anything from the 80s. Be it sci-fi, horror. There were so many adventure movies in the 80s about kids or teenagers and weird sci-fi kind of stuff. Just lots of stuff for them to pick from. And the the, the series is just littered with Easter eggs and hidden references to all of this stuff. And even though it is a show about kids, it's not necessarily for kids because there's actually quite a quite a bit of scary stuff in here. If I were a little kid watching Stranger Things, I think I'd probably have nightmares for a long time. And I guess I should say that it's not just a show about three kids. There's the kids, and then there's a group of teenagers, and then there are the adults. So there are sort of three distinct factions that we're following, and then eventually they all come together at the end. But uh, my biggest contention, we and I said, you know, it wasn't fair to comment on the first two episodes saying that it should it would be better off as a movie or a shorter series, but I am sticking to my guns on that after having watched all eight episodes. I think they could have easily cut this down to four episodes, possibly even into a two-hour movie. That might have been uh, pushing it a little bit, but I think the eight hours were a little too much. However, I did still really enjoy it, particularly the last two episodes. It it really goes along at breakneck speed, those last two episodes. We had a couple of other complaints. Jeff, your main complaint was Winona Ryder. Hysterical. Through the first two episodes, all she's doing is screaming and weeping, and it was actually, after a while, getting kind of hard to watch. And I remember I was actually taking notes down, and I'm just going to pull it up here on my phone here, um, and I because I think I got into the, the fourth episode, and I said, Winona Ryder, uh, still delirious after four episodes, I think, or into the fifth episode, I think I said... This show needs to get on with it, <laughs> and uh, but then and then almost as I finished writing it down, this needs to get on with it. It, it got actually, on with it. It got on with it. Yeah, and it started to pick up. Uh, it really it, it is a fun show. I, right from the the title credits, which are so eighties, and uh, I, I really I had a good time. I just I think that it would have been better if it was shorter. And I would like to point out uh, tremendous acting on part of all the kids, especially the girl who plays Eleven. Her name is Millie Bobby Brown. Never heard of her before this, but she's been in all kinds of stuff. Really? Uh, she's been in, she was in an episode of NCIS, uh, Grey's Anatomy. Apparently she was in Modern Family. There you go. Played a character named Lizzie in an episode called Closet. You'll love it. I don't know. I, I have no idea. I'll have to find it. I, I mentioned that last week. I've still only seen the first two episodes, and I do intend to watch the next six, and now that Narcos is coming up sooner than I thought, I better get on it. But uh, I was impressed in the first two episodes, like you said, with the acting of the children, because, you know, like, the Couch Potatoes, we'll, we'll hammer a bad child actor real quick. We, <laughs> we don't have any qualms about destroying a young kid's dream. <laughs> but to get, like, five little kids that can all act really well that's that's impressive yeah and especially this one who says who plays 11 she because she doesn't have a lot of dialogue so she we're essentially she's having to rely on her facial expressions and her body language and it's a mixture of 
supreme vulnerability and insecurity and at the same time she's really fierce you know there's uh, yeah she's there's, intense yeah so when, and when she gets intense you can see it in her eyes so i'm really excited about uh her, her potential i think she's got a bright future ahead of her but yeah stranger things all in all i had fun i guess if i had to give it a uh a uh, typical couch potatoes rating. I would give it three and a half couch cushions out of five. It's I recommend it. It's a great sort of summer popcorny yarn. Right. Just a little, little flabby, in spots. Yes. Like us. Exactly. Up next, we got a couple of uh, just a couple of sort of random bits I want to tell you about, particularly about an upcoming Blu-ray release. For Aliens, you're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Brett McGarry and Jeff Braun, we are The Couch Potatoes. want to tell you about a fancy new Blu-ray coming out in just under three weeks. Just tell me one thing, Burke. You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back, but to wipe them out. That's the plan. It is the Aliens 30th Anniversary Blu-ray Limited Edition set. In 1986, director James Cameron did the unthinkable. He successfully followed the sci-fi horror masterpiece that is Ridley Scott's 1979 film Alien and made his own sci-fi monster war movie masterpiece. Movement! Talk to me, Hudson! I got signals, I got readings in front and behind. There's nothing back here. Look, I'm telling you, there's something moving and it ain't us. Get them out of there! And Aliens gave us one of the more memorable scenes, probably in cinematic history, solidifying Sigourney Weaver's reputation as a badass. Get away from her, you bitch! If you're a fan of the series, you might be thinking, oh, come on, I already bought the Alien Quadrilogy a few years back, and then the Alien Anthology, now I gotta go buy this? There are some new features in this. There are some collectible art cards. There's a book with some artwork from the Dark Horse Comics Aliens series. I actually have the original Dark Horse comic uh, on Aliens, which is cool. There's a brand new documentary along with all the previously released special features. The 30th anniversary Blu-ray for Aliens arrives September 13th. Aliens. This time, it's war. And finally, there's talk of yet another remake of a classic film... Did you hear that? I heard that. What was it? Could be a lot of things. Yeah? A coyote. There aren't any coyotes in England. But there are werewolves. The film in question is from 1981, An American Werewolf in London, which oddly enough did not feature the song Werewolves of London. The horror comedy was directed by John Landis, and his son Max Landis, a screenwriter, has tweeted in recent weeks a bit of a tease, saying, quote, Since I get the question all the time, there's only one of my dad's movies I would ever be willing to try to remake, and I'm already doing it. John Landis is behind a number of big movies like The Blues Brothers, Trading Places, Three Amigos, Coming to America. But when it comes to which movie his son is remaking, one of the projects his son Max is working on has the title Moors. That was, of course, what the boys in American Werewolf were told when they visited the little English pub, The Slaughtered Lamb. Keep clear of the Moors. Beware the moon and stick to the road. Oops. I vote we go back to the slaughtered lamb. 
1981 film won the first regularly given Academy Award for Best Makeup and Hairstyling. And I would add, even though American Werewolf is a horror comedy, when it's scary, it's quite scary. I saw it when I was a kid. That was a horrible idea because I had nightmares for years. You really scared me, you sh**. You couldn't help me up or what? That's all the time we have. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. This is 680 CJOB.